Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I'm Davey Blackburn, your host. I'm your co-host, Aubrey Sampson. Hey, listen, we've been telling you this past couple episodes, we want to hear from you. This is a That's great right. opportunity for you to give us your feedback, your input into the process of podcasting for us and the topics that you would love to hear about and the guests that you would love to hear from. And so we have put a survey out for you to fill out so we can get as much feedback from you as possible. Here's how you can fill out that survey. Text NIW survey, all one word, NIW survey to 66866 or go to nothingiswasted.com slash podcast survey. Uh, I would suggest texting. It's just a lot easier, a lot more convenient. Pause your phone right now, text this. And um, as kind of a bonus, we're going to give away 10 random $10 Amazon gift cards to people who fill out love the survey. It. We just want to hear from you. We would love to involve you in the process. We've got like this strategy retreat, Aubrey. You know about this. You're going to come down to Indy and hang out with us. I'm looking forward to it. In January, Indy, here I come. and we can't wait to read and pour over all of the input that you guys give us as a team so that we can know how to make this an even better uh, content platform for you in 2021 and beyond. So That's please right. fill out the survey. We'd love to love to hear from you. We are continuing our surviving abuse series today, and I love our guest, Georgia Schaefer. She yeah. is an amazing woman. And actually, Davey, I don't know if you know this, but my first book, Overcomer, which is about my story of overcoming uh, the shame of sexual assault, Georgia endorsed it. She didn't really? even know me. She just uh, reached out to her through a mutual friend wow. and wanted a woman who was kind of walking with other yep. women in this yep. world. That's what she does. And she wrote a beautiful endorsement for it. And so she really is practicing what she wow. preaches. Here's someone she didn't even know. And yet because of my story, she spoke into it. And so I really appreciate her voice. Yeah, Georgia has integrated a lot into the life and family and lifeblood of Nothing Is Wasted Ministries then because we haven't talked about this hardly at all on the podcast, but we're going to be talking a lot more about it coming up here because we have just certified um, roughly 20 coaches to walk people through the pain to purpose path individually. Christy and I so started cool. this ministry by doing one-on-one -on -one coaching, and we realized that the lid to that is as many people as we could coach. And so right. now we have certified other coaches to be able to walk people through it. If you want some individualized, specific personal help on how the pain to purpose path pertains to your particular valley that you're going through. And Georgia happens to be one of those certified guides. I love that. I didn't know that. Yes. And so, I mean, you're going to hear from an incredible lady here who has definitely a lot of um, integrations into your life, my life, our ministry's life. It's really, really cool. Very cool. One of the things that comes up in your conversation with Georgia is um, really her experience of divorce. And I know that in the church right now, this is one of those issues that sometimes we don't talk about, yeah. right? And I think because right. we don't talk about it, there's lots of people that live with shame unnecessarily. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Well, there it is a big, what feels like, can feel like a big scarlet A to be, right. you know, a divorcee in the church. And I feel like that the conversation is being had a little bit more now than it was 10 years mm -hmm. ago or so. 
That's um, true. People are beginning to try to crack open that um, that vault and go, okay, let's really look at this. Uh, it's one of the things that that I explored quite a bit before marrying Christy. Christy has walked through a divorce as well. And I knew that I was going to get a lot of questions about that mm. because you've got people all all across the world who are following our ministry who believe right. a lot of different things about divorce. And Maybe. so I wanted to make sure that I was had a good handle on what does God's word actually say about yes. divorce. And um, I think, you know, from the outset the church has been guilty of communicating whether it has intended to or not. Mm -hmm. It has kind of communicated this idea um, that when it says God hates divorce, it sounds like what it's saying is God hates the divorcee. Yes. And that's not at all. That's not at all. what. But unfortunately, that's the message that is being portrayed quite a bit. You're so right about that. Wow. And, and I think that, you know, I think there's a couple things we have to hold in tension when we talk about divorce. We have to 100% hold in one hand the sanctity of marriage and the beautiful mm -hmm. gift that marriage is and that it gave us, it is giving us this picture of Christ's love for us as the church, his undying, um, faithful, continual, unconditional love for us. No matter how many times we fail him, no matter how many times that we are unfaithful, he continues yeah. to persist. He continues to pursue yeah. and he continues to be faithful. And so That's right. marriage is such a beautiful picture of that. I mean, I know it's it, marriage has sanctified me in so many different ways to know how to love somebody as, in, despite my selfishness, right? Right, right. And, and so when marriage is severed, anytime marriage is severed, despite the, you know, the, the nature of it or what, what it looks like, um, it's, it's hurtful and it comes yeah. with a lot of pain. Yeah, and a lot of a lot of grief, mm -hmm. a lot of grief, a lot of grief. And so I think that, you know, if you're going to pull out of context, scripture saying God hates divorce. Well, I think anybody who has walked through a divorce would probably agree with that. They would say, yeah, I hate it too. Right. This is a terrible thing. It's an awful yeah. thing. It's an awful yeah. thing. And yet there are situations that necessitate it. That's and right. I think that's the thing that sometimes the church is not uh, held in the other hand really well, you know? Yeah, you just hear countless stories of of women who have gone to, again, well-meaning pastors. I mean, right. you know, you and I are both in pastoral positions, and so we know we can mess up, right? Mm -hmm. But they've gone really being in situations of abuse or, uh, uh, you know, something horrific, and they probably need to get a divorce or need yeah. to run away or need... And the pastor has, you know, said, no, no matter what you stay. And that's caused so much damage. But yeah. I think, you know, again, the Lord's heart, like the beautiful thing about God saying, do not divorce in the ancient Near East was that that actually protected women because right. men could just that's divorce exactly a woman by saying, I divorce you and right. walk away. And God's like, no, 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 we don't treat our women like that. Mm -hmm. uh, we value women. They're not commodities. They're not objects. They're not someone you can just throw away. Yeah. That's the heart of that's God, it. right? That's it. It's not a... And of course, the heart of God is also the sanctity of marriage, like you just talked about, right. Davey. But I think we have to remember that, that to take out of context, God hates divorce. Well, <laughs> God hates abuse, <laughs> yes, right? God hates it. evil. God hates things right. that lead to death. Right. And in some situations, marriages are leading to death when a partner is violently right. abusing the other. Absolutely. And God is not okay with that. And I think that's where you have to look at in all of Jesus's teachings, 
And this is where the Pharisees continually went wrong. They kept holding up the letter of the law. They mm. kept, and not just holding up the letter of the law, they, they began to create laws around the letter of the law right, that were right. outside of God's law. You know, they were like, here's, here's another thing that you got. It. Here's another thing. Here's another, and, and so, but Jesus came in and he always spoke to the heart of the law. Yeah. He always spoke to like, um, this, this is the, the principle behind, this is the heart of the matter. This is, and he kept continually prying and pressing into our motivations and our That's intentions right. and what's at the heart level. And in all of those things, we see that he elevates human life above mm. everything. So good. He elevates the, the, he's concerned about the safety of, he's concerned about the, 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 uh, the thriving, uh, the ability for someone to, to thrive. Yes. Um, yep. And so I think that's the other part of the conversation that historically has not been brought, brought into the conversation. Uh, and we're doing, yeah, we haven't turned up the volume. We're on doing that ourselves enough. a disservice by doing that. And we're doing a lot of women, especially as we're seeing through this series, we're doing a lot of women a disservice about that as well. Women who want to honor God, who want to please God, who want to, Absolutely. but because of some bad teaching and bad counsel, yeah. They now, um, they, they feel, they feel guilty to do anything that is, um, you know, a, an action that is out of concern for their own safety. I, and I think we do need to pause and maybe say that to listeners right now. If, if you're a woman or, you know, we're speaking in broad categories about women, of course, this applies to men as well, but because women are so impacted by this, I'm just going to use that right. term. If you're a woman and you are in an abusive situation, God does not want you in that situation. Yeah, yeah. And so I don't allow that guilt and that shame and that legalism to make you feel like you have to stay there. There's help for you. There's hope for you. God is with you. And then I think too, if you have been divorced out of a situation of abuse and you're living with that guilt, I would also say, like you just said, Davey, that that's not guilt that God has right. for you either. That's the voice of the enemy. That's not the voice of the Lord who loves you and accepts you. Yep. And your sin is as far removed as the East is from the West, right? right. And so you don't right. have to keep reliving this narrative. Be free from that in Jesus' name because you are yeah. loved by God. That's so good. We're going to put these resources as links on the sh in the show notes here. But um, a couple of books that were really helpful for me as I've not only walked through, um, you know, trying to decipher through what is my theology of divorce and stuff, but also as I've helped other people through this as a pastor. Uh, one is called Divorce and Remarriage in the Church by David Instone Brewer. And uh, I love the subtitle, Biblical Solutions for Pastoral Realities. Mm, that's good. And then the other one is Marriage, Divorce, and Remarriage in the Bible, A Fresh Look at What Scripture Teaches by J.E. Adams. Again, we'll put those resources as links in the show notes, but those would be great resources if you're trying to dig into a little bit more about what Jesus and Scripture says good. specifically about divorce and marriage and remarriage and widowhood and all of those kinds of things and trying to grapple with an understanding of Jesus' heart in the matter. Yeah, I love that. We'll also hear today from our resident coach for the Surviving Abuse series, an incredible woman named yeah. Jill Monaco. She's <laughs> been with us. She has her own story of abuse yeah, as well. And so she's a lot of incredible insight to bring to us. Yeah. So you'll want to stick around after this conversation with Georgia Schaefer. You're going to hear from Jill Monaco. So make sure you stick around for that. But without further ado, let's go ahead and lean into this conversation I have with Georgia Schaefer.
Georgia, it's so great to have you on the podcast with me. Thanks for joining. Oh, thank you for having me. Well, um, I would love, before we dive into your story, uh, I would love for you just to give us a little bit of uh, context, an idea of who you are and, and where you're from and what your family's like. So help us to get to know you a little better. Well, I live in South Central Pennsylvania, an hour north of Baltimore and west of Lancaster. And I, I'm a licensed psychologist in Pennsylvania. I keep my license current, but I Currently, I'm a professional certified coach. So I do speaking, although very little right now, uh, other than podcasts and Zoom calls. And um, I'm a writer and also a coach, a Christian coach. That's awesome. What What's the nature of your speaking prior to COVID? What kinds of events were you speaking at? Were these like uh, corporate events and helping with emotional healing? Was it Christian events? What What kinds of things were, would you speak at? Yes. Um, years ago, I spoke at cancer survivor events because I've had several, uh, ish, you know, dealings with cancer. So I did cancer survivor uh, events. But in recent years, it's been mainly Christian women's events, okay. whether it be an afternoon tea, a Christmas talk, a weekend retreat those kinds of things. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I know that, um, I want to ask you what caused you to want to get into coaching because it's something that, uh, is, I, I love that, that area, that field, because I feel like you really get to help people kind of on these one-on-one fronts and really help push people further than what they think that they can go themselves. Uh, I come from an athletic background. So the idea of coaching is always something that I'm really fascinated in. I, I love it. I appreciate it. And then when you take that, you overlay it into life and life circumstances. I always think that that's um, just a very beneficial and helpful way for people to move through that. And I know that that is probably uh, you have been in, you, the impetus behind that, I'm sure, is what you have gone through in your life and how you have had to m- move through some painful journeys and so before we kind of get into like, oh, what inspired you to, to coach, why don't you take us back and start to tell us a little bit of, of your story? Uh, yes. I'm, 30 years ago, I felt very helpless, hopeless, and I looked towards my future and I couldn't imagine life ever getting better because mm. there was so much stacked against me. I had been diagnosed with cancer and it returned six months later. And because of this aggressive nature, I was given a 2% chance to be alive in 10 years. And so I had to have chemotherapy, radiation, and a bone marrow transplant. And the doctor said, there's a fine line between killing you or killing the cancer. And they took me right up to that line. But it was really important for me to live because when I was first diagnosed, my son was only eight years old. So a 2% chance to be alive in 10 years meant I had a 2% chance to see him graduate from high school. And that was so important to me. I wanted to do everything I could. So I had the transplant. Like I said, uh, it was very devastating, if you know anybody that went through that. And I had a fever. I can tell more about that story in a little. But by the time I got home, as my son said years later, he said, Mom, you were a ghost in a shell. And I was. He had watched me go from this energetic, go-getter kind of person, teaching, going to grad school, to someone who took all her energy to sit up in a chair. Wow, man. Well, you know, I mean, this is one of the different, one of the, uh, I think we've kind of uh, assessed and talked through a little bit prior to this, three major losses that you experienced and this loss of health 
uh, or the season of loss of health. But I'd love to dive in a little bit on this because I know there's so many people who have experienced um, a cancer diagnosis. They're sitting with one right now. They have a family member. You know, they've just got news. In fact, I've got a friend who just got news that her dad has cancer and there's not um, there's not any kind of prognosis quite yet. So they're sitting in a lot of, you know, fear, unnerving uh, feelings. And, and so I know this can be very difficult for a lot of people, but can you just kind of dive into that when you got this cancer diagnosis, when you got this prognosis that you had 2% um, chance left to live in the next 10 years, what, what did that cause you to, to feel? How was your heart and mind reeling in that? Yeah, when I was first diagnosed with cancer, it was like, oh, I'm going to bounce back and be strong. But when the recurrence came within six months, mm. I knew it was serious. And the reality, you know, there was no more denying it. And I knew my life was in real danger. So, yeah, there was this disorientation, this shock that, yeah. oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? Uh, there was this doctor said, I suggest you get all your Right. life in order, so right. to speak. And it was like, okay, so wow. I would focus on that, but it was really hard to focus. Yeah. But I had decided I was going to do everything um, that I could to live. But sometimes uh, people try everything, mm. and it still doesn't work out. So it's not like I had any super formula. Yeah. I prayed to God all along, I didn't know him right away in a personal way, but I, I prayed every step of the way. And I prayed for the best, but I planned, like I said, get my, got my affairs in order for the worst. Yeah. Well, you know, you, even just saying right there that you didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus, you didn't know God in a personal way, and yet you were calling out to him. What did that cause you to do in terms of as you thought about death, as you thought about life after death? What Did you have any thoughts on that? Did, did you... Did you think, I mean, did, was there anything, was there fear involved in mm -hmm. that? Like, what was your perspective on death, not, not having a relationship with Jesus at the time? Well, I would have told you I was a Christian. I grew up in a Christian church, but yeah. there was never that personal relationship. So right away, I did obviously pray to him. And then I had an experience where I really... Uh, he was no longer up in the sky like they talked about mm. at my church. Uh, he became real. But uh, the truth is, I wasn't afraid to die. I was afraid to live because mm. I didn't know how I would live. I was so weak. I was so helpless. Like my son said, I was a wow. uh, ghost in a shell. Wow. You mentioned a, about a fever story. Uh, that you said you could tell at, at some point you referenced that did, did you want to tell that story I'd love to I'd love to hear about that and why that was so instrumental yeah the bone marrow transplant what they do is they take a quarter of your bone marrow and they freeze it and then they give you industrial strength they don't call it industrial mm. strength but that's what we all called it that experienced it chemo and it destroys your immune system and so the danger is if you get an infection you can die because you, you know, your immune system has been destroyed. And so the only thing that keeps you alive is the, you know, the antibiotics on the IV pole. Wow. So for a week during this transplant, I had a fever 104, which was very serious. Uh, the doctors were afraid I was going to die. But here's what happened. You know, people were praying for me. It's amazing. I asked for a prayer. So again, without that personal relationship, 
I believed on some level. It was just a, a different level. And somebody had given me one of those cards, you know, footprints in the sand. And I had a bulletin board at the bottom of my bed. And one day, what was happening as my fever ravaged on, I just got weaker and weaker physically. And I, I barely knew what day it was. Kyle, my son, would call me and I'd say, how's school? And he'd say, mom, we didn't have school. Today's Saturday. So I was just barely hanging on. But at one point, I just looked at that card at, at the end of my bed. And I, I literally had this image that Jesus was carrying me like footprints in the sand. And I remember saying, just put me down. You know, there's people far more important than me. Just put me down. Because, you know, I was so aware of my flaws and my sins and all my problems. And he just seemed to be saying, no, I'm here for you. You're important, too. Wow. And, Davey, I can tell you, I experienced this comfort and peace that I haven't experienced since. Uh, It was unbelievable. But I still didn't have the relation. I had that experience. But it wasn't until a year later when God had called me to write a book, my first book, that I was talking to somebody about writing this book. And I was telling the story I just told you. And she shook her head and she said, sounds like Jesus was there for you in the tough times. She said, Georgia, tell me about your personal relationship with him. Mm. And I didn't say anything. Wow. Because I, I had experienced him enough to know that he was real but I was also aware that like the telephone repairman <laughs> I yeah. call him when you know I need help right and so that's the day you know I invited him into my life and had that personal relationship which wow. of course makes all the difference wow man yeah uh, I I want to I want to come back to that because I want to hear how that moment changed your life um, and, and, and what, what began to change about how you approached life from that moment on. But prior to that, correct me if I'm wrong, there were a couple other losses that took place in your life as well. They were all kind of converging at one time. Will you describe those for me? Yes. Uh, my husband and I were separated. And so then we went through a divorce. So I had the loss of my health. Mm. Then I, they held my job. I was an instructor at Penn State York, and I managed a computer lab, and they held my job for two years, but I still was too weak. So I lost my job, my marriage, and fighting for my life. Wow. So sometimes it's amazing when people experience one major loss, it's not unusual that they have many, yeah. and it becomes this complicated grief. Uh, and that was true in my experience. Yeah. It's the holiday season, which for many of us can be the hardest time of the year. Whether you've lost a loved one, or you've gone through a betrayal, or your life doesn't look how you thought it would this year, or maybe you're just weary from the toll that 2020 has taken on us. Wherever you find yourself as we head into the holidays, we want to provide you with as many helpful resources as we can. We're able to do this because of the support of our generous Nothing Is Wasted donors. Your donations go to support our podcast, our Pain to Purpose course, our community groups, coaching scholarships, the ministry, and the healing of thousands of lives. 
To give back to our donors, we created our Nothing is Wasted Partner Program. When you make a recurring monthly tax-deductible donation to our monthly partner program of $20 a month or more, you can access resource-driven content that goes above and beyond the normal conversations on our podcast. As a donor, you can access monthly mini-bonus episodes with past guests, commentaries about episodes, bonus teachings, live Q&As, have first access to Nothing is Wasted announcements, discounts to Nothing is Wasted coaching, and other bonus content we release periodically. As you give to Nothing is Wasted Ministries, let us give back to you. To find out more information about this program, sign up for it, or to start a seven-day free trial, head over to nothingiswasted.com slash partners. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com slash partners. Now back to our interview. You know, we, we, we see that as well with so many people that there are these layers of loss. And like you said, I, I like how you phrase that complicated grief because they all seem to interweave together, but you're not really sure how to sort them out. You know, they, they yeah. don't quite parse out very cleanly where you can categorize and pull them apart and go, okay, well, this affected this and this affected this. And if I, if this had not happened then this would not, would not have happened either. But, um, I think what's more difficult is to kind of look at those situations and go, was any of this avoidable? Was there like, was I, what happened in all of this and how do I kind of, um, sort through the things that were avoidable and, and, and still lost those and things that were unavoidable and still lost those. Uh, as you look back on those things, how do you kind of start to pick those apart and parse it out and say, um, could I have, could any of this have changed? Could I have done any of this differently? What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, as far as the the cancer, it was a spontaneous occurrence. Right, right. So there, no, there really wasn't much that could be done in that count. Although my stress level was really high at that mm. point in my life, which uh, doesn't help your health issues. Uh, as far as losing the job at that point, I was too weak. But right. from uh, my marriage, we weren't in the church. Neither of us had a personal relationship. I had no Christian people to speak, you know, wisdom and truth into my life. And I'm not sure I would have listened to them anyhow, uh, which is sad. But going back to where I was, I'm not sure I would have. Uh, so that could have been different uh, if I would have gone back. But, you know, that was years ago. Yeah, right, <laughs> and uh, right. so. Well, speak to that maybe. You know, I feel like that there are a lot of people who are in these places where they look back on these really instrumental times in their life that seem to have altered everything. And they may still be holding on to regret or guilt or shame or whatever that is holding them back. Do you find that as you're coaching people? And if so, how do you help to... Uh, help them understand how to move through those things, move beyond those things to be able to move into their potential, um, you know, and not get bogged down in that. Well, I could have done this differently or could have done that differently. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you hear it all the time and people do get stuck there. I have somebody I'm working with right now. She's been stuck in guilt and shame for three years. Because people told her, you know, God's against divorce. And so she's carrying all this shame and guilt. But she was in a very uh, abusive in her case. And I don't want to get into that. But it was a situation in her life. Uh, it was a safety issue. Mm. And so she didn't have a whole lot of choices. 
but she still carries a lot of guilt and shame. What if I would have done this? What if I would have said this? And so it's helping them understand that there's directionalist guilt where we hold on to this guilt and it's just going out there in all different directions. It's not allowing us to focus on what God's called us to do. And, and then there's true guilt where, okay, these are the things I own. And then you go boldly to God's throne of grace. So true guilt, I'm going to use this as an opportunity to grow. And I can tell you, if you would have said a lot of your coaching clients are going to be people who are divorced, I would have said no way. Because the first time I was asked to speak to Christian singles, I said, I don't speak to singles. <laughs> the person said, well, you are <laughs> divorced. And he said, well, well, would you at least pray about it? And I said, yeah, I'll, I'll pray about it. Well, as soon as I hung up, on, hung up the phone, I knew what God wanted me to do. <laughs> but I'd say that to say, yeah, there is a lot of guilt and shame around that. And people feel like second-class citizens in the church. They feel like they're, uh, you know, walking with a big D on their chest. I know more than one person who's been asked to leave their church mm. uh, because they couldn't make the marriage work, even if there were reasons, you know, safety reasons. Yeah. But um, yeah, in fact, it's always amazing to me, the stories I hear. One person told me at her church, they had a class for uh, married people, and then they had a spares and pairs class. In other words, they put them all together but the divorced people or the single people were the mm. spares. Wow. Wow. Man. What, um, as, as you were kind of, you know, you met the Lord, you entered into a, re a personal relationship with him. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure where you were on the timeline of your recovery from cancer from that, but how did this, uh, so maybe enlighten me on that. Had you, had you, quote unquote, gone into remission or fully recovered from cancer by the time you met the Lord. And, um, and, and regardless of if you had or not, what trans, what about, about meeting the Lord transformed the way you began to walk through life? What was, what mm -hmm. was different about Georgia Schaefer when you met the Lord? Well, the lady who asked me that question, you know, what's your daily relationship like? She led me to some books and I got scripture. I got a, a picture Bible because I wanted to, you know, read the picture Bible to my son. So I, it, it began, I read scripture and it's amazing, even to this day, how I remember so much from that time. Because it, when I was led to the Lord, that was a year after the transplant, I was still very weak, okay. uh, still working through a lot of things. But it quickly became so much better because of that personal relationship that I wasn't alone in raising my son. And it became really important to me that he knew Jesus like, I, you know, I came to know the Lord. And years later, you know, he has said to me one time, Mom, you taught me to trust in Jesus. And I, and I thought, Oh, it's because we prayed before he got on the school bus and I read him <laughs> these Bible stories. And uh, he just recently told me this. He goes, no, mom, it was how I watched you suffer. 
Mm. And you never turned your back. Wow. On the Lord. Wow. Man. Isn't that crazy that um, sometimes it's our, our weakest, most broken moments that really demonstrate for people the most yeah, who exactly. Jesus is? You know? Exactly. It's not when we're yeah, like we can't forget. flexing our spiritual muscles, you know? It's not when they see us in these really uh, mo- mountaintop moments. It's when they see us in the middle of the valley. Wow. And see how powerless we were. And that's when, you know, the Lord can so clearly be seen. Because when we know, and everybody else in their lot, our lives know, um, we can't do much. Yeah. We don't have many resources. Physically, mentally, emotionally, financially. Wow. Wow. Well, can you kind of um, maybe maybe help us understand, you know, you, you went through these significant losses all generally the same time. And um, then there began this re- rebuilding process, a rebuilding after your divorce, a rebuilding um, as your health is beginning to uh, recover. Um a rebuilding after you found yourself jobless and you're trying to figure out what's next. How do I provide for my family? Can you walk us through that rebuilding process and some major things that, that you learned in that? Well, the job issue was pretty much on the back burner, given my health. Um, that, so that one wasn't at first, there wasn't any rebuilding there because I, I couldn't do much, but it was, Quickly, I understood you grieved these losses. I understood that. Now, there was a lot about grief that I learned and experienced I didn't realize ahead of time. But I also came to the point where, as a licensed psychologist, yeah, I grieved, but I still haven't rebuilt my life. And now what happens? Uh, I have still haven't reconstructed my life. And so it was at that point well, where God just led me through the process mm. of rebuilding and what does that look like? But I can tell you the grieving, I think up to that point, there was a lot of things in my life I hadn't grieved. Mm. Like I had a very abusive father. I never agree, uh, grieved the loss of a father I never had. And so I think what made things worse is not only did I have these three major losses, but, uh, the, the emotional pain is so intense. It's hard to describe till you're there. You're right in the midst of it. And it's this inconsolable pain. There's no painkiller for it. But it's also a pain that can drive you to the heart of God. Mm. Because that's the only place. And you get to experience this comfort in the midst of the pain, which, yeah. again, I never experienced that. So there was a lot of grieving. And the other thing about grieving is I like to tell people, you experience every emotion in the book within a minute. I mean, (laughs) sadness, anger, loss, uh, shame, guilt. You go through it all. It's an emotional roller coaster, but you got to face those feelings. Um, Thought the anger was going to kill somebody else. And I thought my sadness was going to destroy me. Mm. And I see a lot of people want to avoid that because they think the grief will destroy them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we haven't really, we, we talk about grief a lot on the podcast, but sometimes I feel like we talk about it with the assumption that people understand what grieving is and what grieving isn't. And I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that. What, 
when you say, hey, you know, I had to grieve these things. What do you mean by that? What does grieving look like? How, how do you grieve the loss of a dad you didn't have? You know, practically, what does that look like? Well, practically, it's admitting what and verbalizing what you didn't have that you wish you had. The loving dad instead of the dad who, you know, threatened to kill you. Uh, so it's acknowledging what you lost. I lost a father, a loving father, a father who would make me feel secure and self-confidence. And it's also, in all these losses, it's protesting what has happened. Mm. I wish I would have had a loving father because I see the difference it makes, at least you know, early on in people's development, yeah. when they have that uh, loving father. But it so it's protesting the pain, what did not happen. It's feeling the feelings, but you got to understand, as I said, these feelings are intense and you can't handle them all at once. Mm. Some people think, okay, I'm going to grieve. Well, what does that look like in my daily life? Well, right. some days I wanted to cry. I couldn't cry <laughs> more than once. I'd watch a sad movie. So it would sort of elicit tears, but other days, all I could do was cry. And there were days where I was just the grief and the sadness was so severe. I didn't even want to get out of bed. I just wanted to pull the covers up over my head. I wanted to isolate myself, myself which is the worst thing you can do. Uh, you feel like you're the only person going through something like this. But we do need people in our lives, not constantly, depending on your personality. Right. Uh, but we do need people who will encourage us, who will support us and speak the truth into our lives. I did a lot of journaling to, during that time. So you said about mm -hmm. my father, I would just write down. It, it was like I dumped all, a lot of my feelings. And yeah. one of my friends recently asked, well, how do, how do I grieve? And I said, start writing if, if you can. Not everybody likes to journal. And she saw me about two weeks later and she said, it's like I took 10 pounds off my mm. shoulders because she was no longer carrying that weight yeah. of emotions, but she wasn't done yet. And the other thing I find in that grieving process, we can stay stuck in the muck of despair mm. and we can stay stuck on our problems and woe is me, but we have to recognize you only handle that pain a little bit. So I have a shaken up bottle of soda. Mm. So all these emotions are, you know, built up inside. So I can only handle a little bit. Well, what happens when I'm not crying or, you know, something else? I found quickly, I purposely had to do something that gave me a sense of hope, mm. gave me a sense of relief, even if it was brief. And people say, yeah, I did that. I went out for a drive. But when I came back, it's like the sadness came back in. Mm. And that's true. Yeah. But you still need those moments. Uh, for me, it was going to my garden. That's yeah. that's God's creation or walking outside in his creation. But you need that time. And yeah, then the pain comes back and it's like a wave. You know, mm -hmm. sometimes it knocks you down and other times it's just a little wave that comes yeah. in. Uh, but it's a process and it takes far longer than most of us ever talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Can you, can you unpack that a little bit when you say it takes far longer? Um, you know, cause, yeah. uh, cause, uh, I'm inferring in that statement 
that there that there are probably a lot of people or you know based on what you're saying you feel like there are a lot of people who grieve to an extent but then they kind of move on without fully grieving because uh for whatever reason I don't I'm not sure their particular motivation but is that what you mean that yeah. you, that people it seems like yeah. they underestimate how long grief is going to take for them yeah, and I think there's a couple reasons. I think, again, what I said earlier, some people think the pain's going to destroy them. And so we have, and I understand that because the pain is horrible. Uh, we have this amazing ability to numb ourselves in a million mm. different ways, whether we numb ourselves with busyness or Christian service. All these things can be very good. But right. if you're using them to avoid facing your feelings and processing and working through them. And during that time, I did have a Christian counselor I worked uh, mm. with. Later, I, I had a Christian coach, but there was there's nothing wrong with saying you need help and yeah. gathering that support. Yeah. Wow. I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are on how to determine whether or not if we're staying on this grief topic, how to determine when have I crossed the line from entering into grief, embracing that grief to getting stuck in it? How do I know if I'm stuck in this grief or if I'm like actually lamenting in a healthy or proper way? Yeah. And lamenting is a real scriptural term. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Million dollar question. I get asked <laughs> this question all the time. And honestly, most of the time that people ask if they're stuck in grief, they really aren't. Uh, because mm. the people that usually don't ask that question <laughs> could be the ones that are stuck in grief. But yeah, I, I get this all the time from people that are, how do I know? How do I know? Okay, well, here's one little example. Here's one little tidbit. If you understand, let's say you went through a divorce. If you understand the worst period of time can be six to 18 months after the divorce, what does that tell you? In one year, your friends are going to say, hey, your divorce was a year ago. Get over it. No, you not only are probably not over it, it's worse. Mm. The pain gets worse before it gets better. So six to 18 months, because really shock and numbness wears off at right. that point. Reality sets in, you know, your life's changed and it's changed forever. Right. Your support system starts to withdraw and people become impatient. People try to mm. fix you, try to move you out of that place because they see you hurting and they want to move you out of that place. There is no simple answer. The more losses you have, obviously, uh, it can take longer to work through it. But here's the deal. Mm. Grief is a season, just like winter. <laughs> it does come to yeah. an end. But like some winters, it can last longer than you want. <laughs> well, we live in the Midwest, so we know exactly what you mean by that. Yeah. <laughs> Hey friends, Davey here. At this point, we've seen hundreds of people find healing from their trauma, reset their faith foundations, and move through their valley with a renewed sense of purpose, all because of our Pain to Purpose course. This is exactly what our hope and prayer for this course has been all along. We want as many people as possible to keep finding healing like this, so for the month of December, we want to give our Nothing is Wasted podcast listeners a gift. That's right, that's you. Are you ready for this? We're knocking $50 off the price of the course. 
This 11 part video course is designed to walk you step by step through and out of your valley and into a life of renewed purpose and impact. You can take this course at your own pace online, in one of our Nothing Is Wasted community groups, or with the help of one of our certified guides. This could be a great Christmas gift for a friend or a loved one who's going through a particularly difficult time this holiday season. If you're interested in taking advantage of this offer of $50 off, text NIWGIFT to 66866. Again, that's NIWGIFT, NIW like nothing is wasted, GIFT, NIWGIFT to the number 66866. So pause this episode right now, text the number, and we'll be waiting for you when you come back. You're bringing up this idea of a support system. This is, I think, uh, such an important thing for everybody to have uh, in the middle of uh, whatever whatever loss or valley they're walking through. But I also know that a support system, support system, um, there you can go through a lot of iterations of your support system. Just as you've mentioned, you can have a support system that gets impatient with you, thinks that you should have moved on by now. And on the flip side of it, you can have a support system that goes, hey, you're moving on too fast because maybe they are also experiencing the same grief or loss that you are from a different perspective or sitting in a different seat. And so um, I'd love to talk about those two things particularly. Uh, how do you, if, if you are someone that is exactly what you just mentioned and you have experienced a loss uh, maybe a divorce, you're a year into it, your friends are going, come on, like it's time to, uh, you know, it's time, it's time to get back, get back on the horse and let's go. And, you know, let's, let's uh, start dating again. And, you know, they're getting impatient because they're not recognizing the full extent of healing that needs to happen inside of you. Um, how do you navigate that? How do you how do you set clear boundaries with your support system? Do you look for a different support system? Do you like, what is the best way to approach that kind of situation if someone's in it right now? You have to find at least one person who has gone on a similar journey to you that knows the reality, but also has successfully navigated it and come mm. out the other side. So you're right. It's amazing how many people say you need to get out in the dating world and you need to do this. You need to do that. So if you have at least one person who understands the journey, who will speak the truth of scripture yeah. and say to you, no, you need to give yourself permission. You are not crazy. You are not stuck. This is part of the journey when you think you're going to mm -hmm. die from the pain and, and just help you stay there. You want somebody who will let you tell your story, somebody who won't try to fix you or judge you, yeah. uh, somebody who's going to be there, you know, and when you're in the desert, we can't always take people out of the desert. So we take them a drink of water. So yeah, have at least one person who accepts you for who you are, who understands the reality of what you're facing, that this isn't an easy situation. Yeah. It's not a quick microwave fix. Yeah, that's good. So would you say the inverse is true? If you have a support group or a group of friends around you who are almost, it feels like pulling you back into grief after you have 
you know, you've processed through this, you've walked through this section of your valley, you need to, okay, now I'm ready to move forward in this way. For instance, remarriage after the loss of a spouse, you know, but you've got people around you who are thinking, wow, you're, you're moving on way too fast. Would you say the same thing is true that the, the, the best, um, the best help for that is to have somebody who has walked that journey successfully, navigated that journey successfully to be able to kind of give you cues and be a guide for you along the way? Yeah. And people who are wise, for instance, Mm. somebody might not have uh, had people say you moved on too quickly, but they understand the role of not judging people. Mm. Uh, As a Christian coach, it's very important with my clients. I don't judge them, that it's this judgment free zone that I don't judge myself as a coach and say, well, that was a stupid question. Well, it's equally important with our friends and with ourselves, because we can judge ourselves and say, well, am I moving on too quickly? And then we can start, you know, spiraling downward into this, you know, discouragement, disappointment right. to despair. So, again, may, maybe you can go on either side, but are there people who will accept you for who you are, who will pray with you? Because many times. I just take it back to them and their relationship with the Lord because most of my clients are Christians. And I'll just ask them, what do you think Jesus is telling you? Mm. And sometimes they'll say, well, I never thought to pray about that one. <laughs> Isn't that um, interesting? <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it's so true, Georgia. We, uh, I feel like we take advice from everybody else around us and we fail and neglect to go, God, what are you telling me? What are you telling me? Oh, hmm. And it is so amazing. He can use an image in your mind. He can bring a million different things. Yeah. He, his word says, I will instruct you That's and right. teach you in the ways to go. That's right. Isaiah 30, we talk about this often, but it says, though he give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, the teacher will hide himself no more, but he will whisper yeah. to you, this is the way, walk in it. And that's Absolutely. such a powerful truth to us that in the middle of our valley, that if we will open our ears up, we can, we, there are times we're going to have to just blind all the other voices. We're going to have to go deaf to them. Just go, you know what? I can't see you. I can't hear you. I'm listening to the one voice that matters and that's Jesus. And in that, Absolutely. I believe he's going to bring people along in your journey that are going to be voices of truth, voices of wisdom, voices of empathy, voices of compassion that will help you to see clearly the path. Uh, so I love that you're mentioning that uh, because, I, you know, just recently we've talked to a lot of people who they're hearing so many other voices. They're not sure which direction to go and what to do. And the, the truth is you, you do. You need someone else that's going to point you to, hey, what's Jesus telling you? Get still. Yeah. Just be still. And that's hard to do. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, years ago, I used to call my friends right away or somebody. And now it's like, no, Georgia, get still. And sometimes my mind's still racing. So I mm. do have a wise friend. And I just say, okay, here's where I am. Yeah. And she'll, she, she accepts me for wow. who I am. Well, I know I'm thinking of a lot of people that I know who are trying to rebuild, particularly after, after divorce, but after any loss, really. Is there anything else other than what you've mentioned that you think is really important in regards to the steps of, of kind of rebuilding? What would you tell a woman who just has experienced divorce and they're a single mom and they're trying to navigate all this and they're trying to figure out how to, well, man, you know, my husband used to be the one that, that was the, the breadwinner. And so now I've got to figure out career and single mom. How do you, what, what steps do you begin to take to, to rebuild? Yeah. 
grieving is only the first step in the process of rebuilding. So, uh, and the steps I'll give you, they overlap. It's not like, okay, right. you grieve and then you do this. Don't you wish it was linear, right? It was like step one, step two, <laughs> step three, but we all know that that's not the case. That's not how it works. <laughs> no, but at some point, you know, grieving's uh, what you wish would have happened, but what is, you know, letting go, uh, so you can get to some point of acceptance. Yeah. It's not that you would have ever chosen it. But then what happens? you got to start looking at your situation differently. In my case, I could see the dark circles under my eyes. I was told, you know, the doctor said, the only time we'll know you're in cured, cured of cancer is if you die of 105 of a heart attack. <laughs> well, so I knew I was never going to get that. Yeah. Oh, and you're now in remission kind of thing. Right. So I had to look past all those problems. And how could I see the situation differently? Mm. Hard to do uh, because most of us want our circumstances to change. So yeah. how am I going to see things differently? I find many times this is where you, that wise person comes in again and helps you uh see your situation. Sometimes it's just moving your yourself a little bit, a mm. different viewpoint, a different angle, putting on a different pair of glasses. Sometimes I stay, uh, <laughs> but to give you an example, what helped me sort of reframe my situation was the story of Ruth and Naomi in oh, the Old Testament book. Yeah. When you read that story, and I think it's the NIV version, I'm not sure. Uh, it says, as it turns out, you know, that here's two destitute women going back to Bethlehem, Naomi's hometown. They have nothing going for them. And Naomi goes, decides to go out and glean the wheat. But scripture says, as it turns <laughs> out, she found herself working in the field yeah. of Boaz. Wow. And now there's only one as it turns out, but now I'm going to put the rest in. As it turns out, he was a kinsman redeemer. As yeah, it turns yeah. out. Just so happened to be that, you know, yeah, I love that. So I started, oh, I had so many as it turns out experiences. Mm. One time for Mother's Day, this is as my son got older. And I did see him graduate from high school and college. And I danced with him at his wedding. But um, one of Mother's Day, he didn't write the cute little card they do it when they're little kids, never said Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> so I'm having a pity party. And we go to have a picnic with my mom and aunt, and it's this cold, lustry Mother's Day. And I'm thinking of everybody else in lovely restaurants. So I'm having a real pity party. Yeah. And my aunt suggests we go to this conservatory. Well, I love flowers and gardens, and that's me. And as we were going up to the conservatory, there was these beautiful tulips they were digging out. Now, they were still in full bloom. And I said, why are you digging these out? They're gorgeous. And he said, oh, they want to plant the summer annuals. And I said, well, what are you going to do with those bulbs? He said, oh, they'll sell them. And I said, well, how much? $2 a bushel, a bushel. <laughs> so I got three bushel in my trunk. And as I shut the lid, God said, happy Mother's Day. I picked something I knew you'd enjoy. Mm. And that was one of those, as it turns out, yeah. we happened to go to that conservatory. So we got to look for those moments and hang on to those yep. moments because they give us hope that God really is working behind the scenes right. for our good, even if we can't see it. Right. Well, I was just going to say what I love about that is that, you know, you've got Ruth, who just positioned herself and she just did the next right thing. She just did the thing that she knew she was, was like, okay, I'm just feel like this is the next step. 
And it's when it's in those moments where God, like what you said, he seems absent, but he's working behind the scenes. He's very active to bring about these coincidental, we all know are providential moments, these as it turns yeah. out moments, and God thrusts her into the the next phase of her life and destiny. And um, you never know when that moment's going to take place, but I feel like you have to, uh, with a with a perspective that that is full of faith, position yourself for those moments. Trust God for those as it turns out moments. That's great. Well, then the the third step is then you got to find the value because you you mm. braved, you start to look at your situation differently. And once I did that, and I would never ever tell anybody who goes through a difficult time, oh, you know what? There's some real gifts in here. Uh, because you don't want to hear it. But for me, <laughs> it enabled me to reprioritize yeah. life. Uh, yep. Of course, you know, I now was walking and talking with the Lord, which made a huge difference in my life. You develop an inner strength. You are forced mm. to grow roots or else right. you you don't. You know, you have one or two choices, the old bitter or better. Right. But you develop this inner strength. You come to know God in a way you never could have in the good times. That's good. But here's the fourth step of rebuilding. And this is the one I didn't see coming. Loss brings pain, but so does new growth. Mm. And you got to step out there. It's sort of like the Israelites moving in the promised land. They didn't just move in and set up housekeeping. They had to fight the giants that were there. And that's what I had to do. There were so many giants I had to face as I, you know, started stepping out. Uh, The first one was writing my book. I never wanted to write a book. So the fact that, but I knew God called me to write this book, but I didn't know what I was doing. And uh, so it was such an unknown area. And I thought, what are you doing? You know, all the negative voices don't even bother. Nobody's going to read it anyhow. And uh, so you have to keep putting yourself out there uh, in what's unfamiliar territory. And a lot of times when people are rebuilding their lives, they have this sense of purpose. They know what God's doing next because early on he did show me, he wanted me to speak and write. And, but that's again, unknown territory, but you don't get there overnight. Yeah. And so people say, you know what? It's never, ever going to happen. And so you have to remind them, it's not that it's never, ever going to happen depending on what it is, maybe right. if they're at the wrong place, that's right. what uh, God didn't call them to be. But if God did, it's just, it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Just not yet. It's not that it's never going to happen. Yeah. And then the fifth place, which is the fifth step is what really gives meaning to rebuilding is sharing your gifts with others, mm. which is what you're doing great. Uh, with your podcast, your writing and everything is, you know, share your story. Yep share the hope you have share what you're now passionate about i'm passionate about rebuilding because i know it's a life skill every one of us is going to need at one time or another and it's not a once and done thing you don't rebuild your life and you know what i'll never do that again seven years ago i was told i had stage four lung cancer well okay, now I got to regroup again. So rebuilding, you know, depending on what's going on in your life, yeah, you got to do it again and again. Wow. Wow. I love that. Okay. So, uh, you just gave us five steps, five stages, so to speak. Um, uh, the, and I just want to review them real quick. The first one is to grieve essentially, right? Make sure that you're grieving. Give yourself time to grieve. Give yourself grieve time to grieve. The loss. Okay. The second one is 
is reframe your situation circumstances. That's great. You know, it's not what you lost. Yeah, you lost a lot, but you did a lot of that in grieving. It's what do you still have? Mm. Many people say, well, I can't do this. I can't do that. What can you still do? Yeah, well, I don't know this. I don't know that. What do you know? Right. Uh, so it's, it's keep bringing them back. Yep. Yep. I find a direct correlation between the people who uh, maintain or, you know, are able to determine what their locus of control is. Okay. There are a lot of things you can't control, but there is, there are some things that are within your control. God has given you the power to be able to control this choice or this situation, this attitude. And so walk in that control, recognize what it is, walk in that control, let God control the other uncontrollables. And that's what you mean by reframing this, helping you to, to reframe your, your pain, so to speak, and saying, this is what, this is, I'm going to look, choose to look at this differently. That's great. I love that. All right. The, then the third step Not you said, easy. and then start to find the value. What are the find gifts? The Recognize them, yep. you know, write them down what you're grateful for and not the same things all the time, but write them down and, and see how you've grown. Uh, many times, um, people don't realize how they have grown. Yeah, good. But when I go back and read my journal entries from five years ago, it's like, Oh, why don't I even think that way anymore? So to celebrate, you know, how have you grown and to recognize that sometimes I do a milestone assessment in my rebuild groups, just so they see mm. and invariably people go, Oh, I didn't realize I grew here and here. Right. So that's important. Right. And then the next one is, Take the risk, Take the uh, risk. to step out. Yep. Because like you said about your locus of control, here's the deal. When we have all these things that are outside of our control, Martin Seligman calls them, we often learn helplessness. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, because we couldn't control this, we now, you know, in this fourth step, take the risk. We think we can't make a difference. Right. It's like we just is pervasive. So we have to unlearn. I mean, it's good that we know we're helpless because then we need God, but there's still areas he wants us to make a positive difference. Yeah, that's great. Yep. So take the risk and then share your gifts, which is so appropriate. And we, man, that's what yeah. you're doing as well, Georgia. You're sharing your gifts with the world. You're sharing your gifts with us. And, um, and, and I'm so grateful that you uh, are doing that. I'm grateful for the time that you're spending to help other people rebuild their lives. It's so great. It's so great. And thank you so much for the time that you've spent with us to share your story and to no. share uh, what you've learned about rebuilding. I know this is going to be so helpful to so many people. Oh, well, thank you for having me and keep doing what you're doing. It's so important. Uh, well, so well, important. Thank you. And uh, I don't think we could do this without people like you who are walking beside us and, and teaching us so much. And so I appreciate um, appreciate everything you're doing. Where can we find out more about you? And, uh, even if people want to get connected to some of the coaching that you do or want to get your book or some of the other, you know, stuff that you're writing, what, where can we get connected? Uh, yeah, the first book I wrote was a gift of morning glories, restoring your life after loss, but then dealing with the emotions I wrote, taking out your emotional trash, but at <laughs> georgiaschafer.com. Um, so Schaefer is spelled S H. A F F E R. So it's Georgia Schaefer.com. S H A F F E R. That's awesome. We'll put that in the show notes right here and on the podcast page so you can access that easily. We'll try to link the, the book um, that uh, Georgia is referring to. But Georgia, thanks so much for spending time with me. This has been awesome. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. 
That was a great conversation you had with Georgia. I just love her. I love her wisdom. I want to share the domestic violence hotline again to any woman who is listening, any man who's listening, any family member who's listening who needs support if they're walking through abusive situation or they know someone who is, you can call or you can chat 1-800-799-SAFE, S-A-F-E. That's 1-800-799-SAFE. Yep. And uh, before we sign off, we definitely want to hear from our resident coach for the Surviving Abuse series, Jill Monaco. So let's hear what Jill has to say about this conversation. I'm so thankful for people like Georgia who have shared their story and then everything God has done along the way and turns around and on the other side is being proactive and helping others. It makes you feel so empowered, doesn't it? Like, if she can do it, so can I. And I love how Georgia broke down the process into five simple steps that we can remember. She talked about the first thing was to grieve. Then we accept. Then we find the value in it. Then we take risk, and then we share it with others. And today, I want to break that down a little bit and give you some coaching tips and some questions that you can ask yourself and God as you go through this process. Now, the first thing you need to know is that we all believe lies. When you've had something like Georgia, where you have had tons of loss, she had loss in her health, in her relationships, in her job. When your life gets hit in so many different areas, you can start believing lies about yourself, about God, or about others. And so the best way to enter any part of this five-step process that she shared is to check in with God along the way and ask him, God, is there a lie that I'm believing about? Fill in the blank. And after you do that, ask him, God, what's the truth? Show me your truth. See, God wants to reveal the truth to you so that you can be everything God created you to be and everything Jesus redeemed you to be. Now, the first thing she talked about was grief. And one of the things that is most difficult for us to process that because it doesn't feel good. So one of the things that I encourage people to do is to verbalize what you lost and find the validation for it. You might even have to do self-validation. Maybe there isn't anyone around you that can validate your pain. You can validate your own pain. The second thing Georgia talked about was accepting. And oftentimes when we don't accept, we are going to see things manifest in our life that we are not thrilled about. We may struggle with anger, anxiety, fear, depression, you know, and then there's other things on a side that other people might applaud, but it's still just as destructive if we're not accepting what we've had to go through. We can cover up what's really going on by overworking, by serving and getting validation from people and places and ministry, by saying yes too much, saying yes to all the things. We're really self-sabotaging and hurting ourselves. The third thing she talked about was finding value. And I've got a question that I love to ask God when I am seeking to find the value in what happened. It's like finding the gold from the junk. And I like to ask God, what can you be for me today that you haven't been able to be for me at any other time? 
You know, Davy often talks about finding the purpose from your pain. And this is a great question to ask God because you're going to see things from his perspective. I think of the story of Joseph, and he told his brothers what you meant for evil, God used for good. And this is the same thing that can happen when we find the value and we choose to focus on it. You know, you may have been led down a path that you didn't want, but the good news is God has lots of different trails that come off of that path that can take you into a shortcut to actually end up where he wants you. The next thing she talked about was taking risk. Now, this was one of my favorite points that she made because over and over again, I have taken crazy risks because I felt like the Lord was asking me to. And I'll tell you what, risk is scary. But when you've gone through trauma or you've gone through abuse, risk can be absolutely overwhelming. But when you succeed, it can be empowering and you'll realize you are way stronger than you thought. And if you take a risk and you fail, it's actually okay. There is no ultimate failure because every time you fail, you learned something. So what do you do? You grieve that loss, you accept it, and you find the value, and you take a new risk. Just keep getting up and try again. I know it can be hard to hope, but I want to give you something that really helps with that. You need to start having fun and find things that give you joy. When you do that, there's something that happens that gives you more excitement about taking a risk. One of the other things that I recommend to my clients is start to declare what you want to believe. Maybe you're not believing in hope or joy or possibilities anymore, but in this risk area, just start to say, I believe I can do fill in your blank. So be encouraged. What is the thing that you need to believe? Start declaring it as if it already is. Why? Because there's a part of your brain that only believes what you say. I can encourage you all day long, but when you start to declare things, declare the things that God believes about you and the things that you want to see come to pass, your brain actually believes you. And I promise you, you will go further, faster than anybody else's encouragement. The next thing she talked about was share. Now, this is really something that you will do over and over again. Listen, so many people think, well, I've got to go through the whole process and have all of my healing before I can start sharing this. That's not true. You are one step ahead of somebody else, and that's all that's necessary. Or you might just be who God created you to be, and all of a sudden find an old dream or passion coming to the surface that you now have confidence to go after. So I want to conclude with giving you some questions that you can ask yourself or ask God while you're in prayer and figure out where are these areas that you need to grow. First of all, what do you need to grieve? Maybe you're not sure what it is that's actually holding you back. Ask God. You might want to ask Him, what does it look like for me to live without this pain Without the shame, without this burden, what does life look like? Let him give you a picture of that so you can get excited about it. You might want to ask God, what am I doing to avoid pain? You might want to ask him what your defense mechanisms are. You might want to ask God how he has set you up for success because of what was done to you. I'm curious, what feels scary to you? What is that area of risk that you're like, there is no way? Okay, So just come up with one step toward that. Just tell one person what your dream is. 
Find out what are the obstacles in your way and who can help you move through that. I don't know about you, but I love me some clear steps. But remember, Georgia said it's not like you do one, two, three, four, and five. Sometimes you might start with number four and then jump back to number one. Listen, whatever your process is, it's beautiful. God wants to partner with you as you go through these steps to be who he created you to be. There's no one just like you. I pray you're encouraged today. Thanks, Jill. That was so insightful. I hope you guys have been enjoying so good. Jill. Monaco, as she is kind of unpacking some more of this for us. Uh, we also want to thank Sleeping at Last for being a part of the Nothing is Wasted family, providing all of the, the music that Nothing is Wasted podcast uses. And uh, you can listen to his music anywhere. Music can be downloaded and streamed. Uh, we would love to ask you to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. It is so helpful to us. It encourages us, but it also gets more exposure out there uh, about this podcast so more people can be uh, privy to and hear the stories that we're sharing on this. And um, we want to remind you about the survey. Text NIW survey to 66866. We'd love to hear from you on that. We're going to be doing all kinds of different fun things, strategic things uh, as we go into 2021. It's going to be really great. Yeah, we want you to impact this content that we give you. We want to hear your voice. So please go ahead and do that. You can also find Jill Monaco at jillmonaco.com. She's been an incredible coach for us. So go ahead and check her out. You can follow us on Instagram at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, at Davy Blackburn, and at Obsamp. And then next week, join us again for more of our series on surviving abuse. We have a really powerful guest. Her name is Teresa Glantz. And so let's go ahead and listen to a clip from your conversation with Teresa. There was one in particular, I want to say I was in ninth grade. It was eighth or ninth grade. And to lay the story out would be too confusing, but he had bought me and my two girlfriends some wine because he was going to go out for the night with my stepmom. We were in eighth or ninth grade. Wow. And it's at that point, you think he's really cool, right? Like yeah, your dad's right. so like, cool. Oh, wow. He gave you wine to drink. So we drank the wine and giggled, whatever, went to bed. And we woke up to pounding on the door and my stepmom screaming and um, lots of confusion. You wake up with that adrenaline yeah. of what's happening. Mind you, this wasn't uncommon for me, but I had two friends with me. Mm. And so um, when we went out into the hall, my stepmom was laying on the ground just covered in blood. Um, He had beat her up at the bar and then brought her home and left. So the police were knocking at the door because apparently our neighbors had heard them. So we let, I let the police in and they said, we already saw her at the bar. Your dad beat her up. And I I was like, well, what, can I leave? 